standby, confidant, our ever-present help in time of need. And so I pray that you comfort those who need comforting, Lord. Strengthen those who need strengthening. And help us to get this truth, the redemption, complete redemption in Christ. Help us to get it down in our heart even more. Because there's no limit to how well we can know you because you are infinite. As we open this word together, Lord, and seek to get it down in our heart, pray that you help me bring this out, Lord. I can't do it without you. And I thank you, Father. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, guys. still working. I'm just going to let him work for a minute. It's okay to take pause and just tarry in God's presence for a little while. Work on us, Lord. Whenever we sing that song, I think of the scripture that said, those who dwell in the darkness have seen a great light. Jesus, you shine light on us and you break things off of us, things we don't know we're carrying. Thank you, Lord. Take your time, Father. Clifford's got a Clifford's praise report, he just uh, had a total knee replacement two weeks ago, and all through all this, he's had no pain. (laughs) Praise God. Amen. Thank you, Becky. I told her before she could play through the whole, the whole time I speak, I'm good with that, you know. I imagine her, her, her fingers would get tired. Mine do sometimes. So, are we all ready to get into the Word today? We've got the kids with us. And so, kids, as you may or may not know, I have questions at the end for you. And I have, 
I just happen to have some, a bowl full of sugar up here. And if your mom and dad are okay with it, you can, you can come up and get one if you answer a question correctly. Um, so pay attention. Pay attention. Okay. So um, I have here a $20 bill. Now don't get your hopes up. My disclaimer, because this is my emergency gas money. So this is just a this is just an illustration. <laughs> this is a so this is a twenty dollar bill. Okay, what makes this piece of paper worth twenty dollars? You know, you could say, okay, well, it's to, it's worth it's worth twenty dollars. Uh, you could say, well, that's uh, you know that money can represent labor, you know, time spent that somebody did at some point to generate you know, wealth and whatever. So it's like 20, so it's $20. Is it the paper itself that's worth the $20? It's not. It's simply because the United States government says it's worth that much. And, uh, and because we agree with them that it, it's worth that much. Because if I didn't agree, if I didn't agree, well, I don't, I mean, for all I know, this is worth five. I don't, for all I, for all I know, this is worth nothing. And again, don't get your hopes up because I'm not going to just toss it aside because I actually do agree with the U.S. government that it's worth $20 and I would like to get gas in case I run out. So what makes this worth that is, is because they say it is and because I agree with them. Without my agreement, it's not really worth anything. I mean, it still is, but it's not worth anything to me anyhow. So it's important, you know, then that I, I agree that it's worth that much, Yeah. Um, I say as I put this back. God tells me to give it to someone, I'll give it to someone. But, <laughs> but if, I don't, if I don't agree, then, then it's not, it's, 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 it won't be worth anything to me. And so then, uh, let me ask you all, have you ever felt like you weren't worth anything? I think we all have, at least once, once or twice in our lives, maybe some people all the time. And uh, so then, just like that $20 bill, if someone greater than us tells us that we are worth something, we should agree with them. That's why today we're going to talk about how much God says you are worth. Because really, that's what matters. And so, um, before we get into that, though, I'm going to tell you a story. During the summer, in between my second and third year at Bible college, I worked as an overnight janitor a 24-hour gym, and most people will think, well, that profession's not, you know, people who work that profession's, you know, not worth a whole lot, and um, we do kind of have that idea. <clears throat> but uh, one night while I was wiping down the sinks in the men's locker rooms, a guy comes in, and he strikes up a conversation with me. And I'm thinking, I just want to clean some sinks and go home, you know, because it's an overnight job. I'm, I'm exhausted, you know. And, uh, you know, so he strikes up this conversation with me, and he had, he, he had found this expensive pair of earbuds outside, you know. Cause, and, and, I, and I just preface this, I'll just say, you know, it doesn't take too long talking to somebody to really find out what's important to them if you let them talk a little bit. And so he's got these expensive pair of I just found these outside. Isn't that great? Sure. Yeah, happy for you. Nice pair of earbuds, right? And uh, I'm thinking he better wash those first before he tries you. But, uh, you know. And then he's talking, he's talking more, you know, he, he just found this high-paying job, he got a high-paying job he's all excited about, and he's, and he's, got, he's got money in his hand, and he's like, he, and he says, he says, this right here, this is what makes the world go round. And uh, finally, he asked me, he says, how much do you make, if you don't mind me asking? And you don't have to tell people how much you make, you know, but I kind of hesitated, and I thought, 
okay, fine, I'll just, you know. So I told him, I said, well, I make $9 an hour. He said, you seem really excited about that. I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, you had this big smile on your face when you said it. Like, he says, how, how could you be happy with just $9 an hour? And I'm a little stunned because that's not your typical, you know, conversation that you, ha- that you have with people that you just meet, you know. And so I'm a, little, I'm a little stunned, and he's a little smug about it, not a lot, just a little like, how could you be happy with that, you know. And so I didn't have an answer. And uh, so I began to kind of just search my heart, you know, just kind of uh, just gave it a couple seconds of silence, you know. And God gave me the answer to how I could be happy with just $9 an hour. And I looked at the man and I said, because I choose to be. And uh, suddenly his smile's gone. And he, he, look, he looked at the ground, and he goes, but what if, and he's thinking, and he's thinking about it, and, and, you know, he didn't have much more to say after that. And, of course, you know, this is not, it's not, when God gives you something to say to people, it's not to, like, put them in their place or anything. It's to get through them, you know, so you've got to be, you got to be aware of that. But uh, the whole question of how, how, could, how could you be happy with $9 an hour seemed he asked, seemed to be rooted in the idea that my value as a person was somehow tied to how much money I made. And during the conversation, you know, I, I honestly did have an inward struggle, you know, with feeling inferior when that question came up because, I mean, don't we all? You know, we all, we all have feelings of inferiority from time to time. And his question did put me to the test. And that's not a bad thing to be put to the test. So then how does a person define their own value? What is it that qualifies a person to feel that they are of worth? Or what, at least what, is it, what, do, what do you think qualifies you to uh, make you feel like you're justified in feeling your worth X amount, this much, whatever? And as a child, you know, I didn't ask that specific question, but I remember chasing the feeling of worthiness. I mean, you can't, you have questions. Sometimes you can't articulate the question. You don't, you know, you're wondering, but you don't know exactly how to ask. You know, and so I remember just kind of chasing the feeling of worthiness, you know, because well, maybe, maybe if I'm good at school, you know, maybe, maybe if, I, if, I'm, if I'm good at sports, you know, I wasn't that great at either one of those things. You know, and maybe, maybe if I constantly get my chores done all the time, yeah, right, like that's going to happen because I was that kid, you know. Or, you know, I thought maybe if I can learn how to, I mean, you start grasping at straws. Maybe if I learn how to ride a bike as good as my friend Josh, because he's really good at riding bikes. Maybe if I'm, I'm as good at, at, at making friends as my brother Dave is, because he's really good at making friends. And so the reason behind that is everywhere I look, you know, everyone else seemed to have no problem. Uh, they seem secure and confident in themselves, you know, and in an unspoken way that seemed to me to mean that they were comfortable in their own self-worth. But I've since learned that people are good at hiding the feeling that they are worthless. And uh, as I grew, I began to learn through experience that basically uh, people kind of, you know, not, not everybody, you know, because it's not an exact science, but, but people tend to kind of zero in on the things that they're good at and they try to use those things to make them feel like they're worth something. And, you know, some people are better at that than others. And, uh, you know, like the young guy that struck up the conversation with me at the gym, you know, he's good at making money. Nothing wrong with being good at making money. 
Nothing wrong with that. But because of that, he felt like he was worth something up until that moment when I told him, you know, well, I could, you know, yeah, I can be happy with $9 an hour simply because I choose to be. At, at that moment, his confidence seemed like it was gone. You know, and I could see it all over his face, really. It was as though someone had pulled a rug out from under him. You know, it's not a good feeling. I think it was because his idea of self-worth was tied into a high-paying job. Well, if a person has decided that they have value because of something they do well, it could be easy for them, it could be, not, I mean, not everybody does this, but it could be easy for them to, to uh, take that standard and then put that onto another person. You know. You mean to tell me that you're not good at making lemon meringue pies? I'm really good at that. Wow. I can't believe you're not good at that. You know, they're not good at that. They're not good at making lemon meringue pies. Just for the record, I'm not good at making lemon meringue pies. You know, that's an example. But, but for this guy at the gym, you know, something about the idea of someone being able to choose to be happy with a low-paying job just didn't make sense to him. It, to him, it, someone shouldn't be able to feel good about that. And I can really see the wheels turning, you know. And my, mine were too, by the way. I'm like, I was really, God was dealing with me about some stuff too. So we were both standing there just kind of, <laughs> you know, have you ever tried to watch a YouTube video where it's like buffering, 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 buffering? It stopped. It's just buffering. That's the way it was. We were both kind of standing there. Buffering, yeah. We were both buffering. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's, that's profound, you know. He's thinking, how could he be happy with that? And I'm thinking, wow, I can be happy with that. You know. So let's talk about how much God says you're worth. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn over to Luke 15. We're going to look at a parable, the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, I know this gets talked about a lot, but kind of looking at it from a different angle today. So Jesus tells this parable here. Uh, parable is just a simple story that illustrates a spiritual truth, something to instruct us in spiritual things. So here in verse 11, it says, Then he, Jesus, said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So what he's asking is, he goes to his father, Look, I know one day you're going to die, and then whatever's left to me, um, I'll get then, but I'm asking for it now. He wants it, he, I want it now before you die. So he's asking for his inheritance now. And uh, so the father does it. He, he, he divides his livelihood between his two sons. So verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son, this is the one who asked, gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, we always call him the prodigal son, but prodigal, you know, if you look that up, that just means spending to excess. He just spends just anything that catches his fancy. He just throws money at it. Wasteful. Okay, so verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. means now he's starving, he's hungry, he has nothing left. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself... It means when he came to his senses. 
when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So we have all these things going on here. We've got uh, the son separating himself. He gets his inheritance, separates himself from his father. He moves to a far country. And that's telling because he, he distanced himself a great deal from his father intentionally. He moved to a far country. He then loses all the wealth. He ends up out in the fields feeding the pigs. And if you've ever seen what they feed pigs, you know he must be pretty desperate. And these are all big events that take place in the foreground of the story. But here in verse 19, in the undercurrent of the story, reading between the lines, the prodigal son himself brings up this issue of unworthiness. Did you notice that? I'm no longer worthy. He's, he, he is saying how much he is worth. He has decided, I am not worthy. He's saying, my value, my worthiness is gone because of what I've done. Well, that relates to mankind's fallen state, you know, right? I mean, because Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command, mankind fell from that state of fellowship with God. And so that is actually the root cause of all of mankind's sense of unworthiness. I mean, many people will come up with different reasons why they feel unworthy, but the truth is, is that ultimately it all goes back to this root cause of falling away from God. Our sense of not being good enough, that's where that comes from. So a person who feels unworthy is going to have a hard time with confidence and feeling secure. I mean, his, his plan is to go back to his father and say, because of this unworthiness, I'm not even worthy to be called a son. Just take me back as a servant just so I don't starve. Okay. And so, yeah, we, you know, it's very, it's very difficult because when people feel unworthy, they are going to have a heart. They, they don't feel secure in approaching God. You know, but Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us come, therefore, boldly unto the throne of grace to, receive, or to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But let me ask you, have you ever come across that verse there and just kind of become hesitant, like, because, because, because me? I'm supposed to, you know, I'm not supposed to seek out somebody for me who's worthy, and they, they go and talk to God because I'm not, I just don't feel like I'm there. God the throne? Me? But that's God's established way to find help in time of need. That's what he said to do. Therefore, he's not obligated. I mean, he still may help people, sure, but he's not obligated unless they meet that criteria. He said, come boldly before my throne. I got mercy and grace for you. I mean, even when a person accepts Christ, they're saved by grace. That means they have to approach. That's why whenever, you know, a lot of times I don't don't do an altar call. I mean, I, I just, you know, if I'm talking to someone about Jesus, I'm like, you tell him in your own words, he's your Lord. Believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead because that's a, that's a moment of, uh, of transparency with God, complete, you know, you're, it's, it's, it's very genuine. And it's like a landmark in your life, you know, to have that open conversation with God. So then, what happens then if a Christian 
because this happens to Christians all the time. What happens if a Christian lets a sense of unworthiness hold them back from coming boldly before God's throne? They might not get the help that's needed. But if we take time to agree with God about how much he says that we are worth, then we will have a reason to come boldly. Amen. So now, look at verse 20. Uh, get ahead of myself. There he goes. So Jesus is still speaking here. He says, and he arose. This is the prodigal son now. The, he's coming back. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Or now they're going to celebrate, have a party. Now have you ever noticed that when the prodigal son began to give his prepared speech, that his father cut him off? Didn't let him finish his speech. He didn't, get, he didn't get to the part about being taken on as a hired servant. But I do think it's important that the son was able to say that part about no longer being worthy to be called a son because, that, remember, that's his estimation of his worth. I'm not worthy to be called a son because just a couple verses later, what does the father call him? This, my son, was dead and is alive again. <laughs> and so by this act of grace... The father names him a son. This is my son. <laughs> now, grace just means getting good things that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting the bad things that we do deserve to get. Grace is getting good things that we don't deserve. That's what grace is. So, you know, did the prodigal son deserve the kindness his father showed him? No. Not at all. So that's grace. Grace. Now think about this. When did the father run to embrace and kiss his son? Was it before or after the son tried to make his speech? It was before. The son had this speech all worked out in hopes that he could use it to be accepted by his father, make amends. But the moment the father saw him and ran to him, grace was already at work to redeem the son regardless of how worthy he thought he was. Grace is undeserved kindness. The son tried to say he's unworthy. He tried to say how much he's worth, but the father ignored that and said, this is how much you are worth to me. You are my son. <laughs> and so the father then, and this is, this is important, the father had a different idea of how much he was worth than the son did. Is that, is that not right? It's a lot like that 20 bill we talked about earlier. The U.S. government says how much that piece of paper is worth. It's our part to agree with them. Because I want you to look a little closely here at verse 24 again. Let's read verse 24 again. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Look at that last line again. Let's read that last line together. And they began to be married. They. How many of you know that the, the son was included in that they? He had to have been. 
How many people have repented and come to God because they felt worthless? And God does exactly what this father in the story did. He, he ignores how much they say that they're worth. He calls them his children. But how many people don't do their part? How many don't agree with him about how much he says they're worth? How many stay in that state of, I'm not worthy? That would be like me not agreeing that that $20 bill had any value. I, I wouldn't treat it like it's worth anything, right? No. See, when God calls his children, we need to do the, what the prodigal son did and begin to celebrate along with the father. And agree that it's so. Because if I can't agree with God about that, how will I be able to encourage others to agree with God about how valuable he says they are? It'll be more difficult, not, maybe not impossible. Every Christian needs to understand this. Let's read on. We'll begin to widen our view of this a bit, just a little bit further. Verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. So there's, remember, it said he had two sons. Now we're getting to the other son. His older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. That dancing must have been pretty loud if he could hear it. Verse 26, so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son. He's called son too. Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. And was lost and is found. So first of all, the older brother is angry because he doesn't feel that he's gotten a fair return on his hard work. That's just something he just brought up. You know, it's kind of like that. And another thing, kind of a, kind of a conversation, right? Doesn't that imply that he believes he's worthy of a reward because of his hard work? A lot of people think they have worth because the good works they do are evident. God doesn't think that way. Yeah, God wants us to do good works, but those should flow out of gratitude for what he's done for us. I don't, I don't do this for recognition. I don't, I'm not even really doing it for a wage. I do it out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for me. And I'm not trying to repay him either because I could never repay him. I just do it because I love him. So if you look close, the older son just told us that there are two places, actually, where he draws from to feel that he is worth something. See, a person can draw from more than one place to feel like they're worth something. Okay, and when I say drawing from two places, I really do mean like you're drawing from a pool of water or a river or a well. You know, I'm drawing from this to get my sense of self-worth. The, the first is the work that he does for his father. I'm worthy because of the work I do for you. The second place is self-righteousness, really. I'm worthy because I have never transgressed your commands. <laughs> He's drawing his total sense of self-worth 
from two different places, isn't he? There's a third place the older son draws the sense of self-worth, and maybe it's kind of speculatory, but I mean, you know. And, and he may not have been doing this, but some people do, definitely. He compares himself with his brother who's made some mistakes, doesn't he? He messed up. He doesn't deserve your kindness. He left. I stayed. He made mistakes. I've always done what you said. So there, there's that self-righteousness thing and that are kind of tied. But there are two different things. Some people feel valuable by comparing themselves with others or putting others down. So, you know, it's, it's really different from everybody where they draw their sense of self-worth. Because, you know, there's lots of different places that people can use to do that. A person might get part of their self-worth from the people that they know. I'm important because of who I know. I know some people. I've got some friends in high places. You know. Or another part of it might be their own ability to run their, their own business. You know, I, I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I don't work for any employer. I work for myself. Make my own hours. Do well. You know, putting in the new pool. Got the new whatever. And really, lots of other things that people can... I mean, I suppose that even if they're frugal, they might just feel successful just because they're hoarding money. I don't know. You know, whatever. So it's important that we acknowledge that from childhood very early in life. A person is not taught where to draw their self-worth from. They will adopt places to draw from. But just like that guy who struck up that conversation with me while I'm cleaning the sinks, you know, if a person doesn't look for God to find out how much they are worth to him, they will not have a firm foundation. You know, how good that they feel about themselves will be an illusion. Just like that guy, you know, his whole world's turned upside down simply because, well, you know, I can choose to be happy with that. And now he's thinking his entire, he's rethinking his entire skew of life choices, right? (laughs) Wait a minute. You know. And, you know, I, and what I learned from that conversation, not from the conversation, but, you know, what God said, and I said it back, and I'm like, wow, that is, wow. I can choose to be. That, so, so what I learned there, so why, doesn't it, why didn't it bother me? And it really didn't bother me. Sometimes you know something before you can articulate it, you know. Uh, it, didn't, it really didn't bother me up till that moment. It kind of bothered me when he brought it up. But then, it, you know, when you have that answer from God that, well, you know, doesn't bother me anymore. Why doesn't it bother me? Because I know how much my God says I'm worth. Just like that $20 bill again. The U.S. government tells me how much it's worth. It's my part to agree with them that it's worth that much. But, you know, it's either all or nothing. I can't just sort of agree with them, right? You know, I get, that doesn't make any sense. Like I said, well, maybe it's worth five. I don't know. I really don't know. I can't, you know, it says 20, but I just, I thought, well, I thought I knew. I just thought. I don't know. People do this about their self-worth to God, right? They do that. Well, I thought that I thought that I was thought that I was okay with God, but now I don't I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm so sure. God's word doesn't change. You have a fixed value in God's eye. It's no less than the blood of his son, which is the most precious substance in all of creation. 
That's, that's how highly he values you. <laughs> and yet, even though we know this from the word, there are many Christians out there who only sort of agree with God when he says how much they're worth to him. You say, well, how does that work? You know, how do they... Well, let me walk you through it. A person confesses Jesus as Lord, believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, now they're saved. You know, but when the father responds by saying, you're my child, I've adopted you. And if they don't really let that sink into their heart, okay, if they, if they don't join in the celebration with all, with all their heart like the prodigal son did, they will still draw from more than one place to feel like they're worth something. So it's like, okay, well, say, um, say I, 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 I draw I, my job, my family, um, whatever, call, ministry, all right? These three things. This is where I draw my sense of self-worth from. God has now said that I am valuable, so now I have a fourth place to draw from. But what God wants us to do when we find out that uh, how much he values us is to Toss those other things aside and say, what matters most is what God said. None of, none, of it else, none of it matters except what God said about how worthy I am, about how much he has made me worthy. That's really the key. Jesus made you worthy. See, if I only partly take to heart something God tells me, it, it can only partly help me. You know? So we want to be able to fully draw from just what God said about how worthy we are, about how valuable we are. And, you know, I'm not saying that we can't feel good about family and job. And I mean, you can feel good about those things, but there's a difference between feeling good about those things and taking joy from those things and taking your sense of self-worth from those things. We've got to go into God's order. Amen? So then, you know, if we do that, it won't matter what someone thinks of us because of where we grew up or what job we had or what we're good at. I can tell people, I have worth because I belong to Jesus, and you can too. And all we have to do is start agreeing with God when he calls us his children. (laughs) So then we need to find a way to stop drawing our value from all those other places. And I think it's not that difficult. I really don't think it is. Just get used to thinking a different way. And you know, isn't it good that the prodigal son didn't stay lost? He went back to his father when he realized he messed up. Because if if he hadn't gone back, he would have stayed lost, wouldn't he? Now, I'm going to make a couple of statements. How many of the kids do I got? You guys still, are you still with me? Are you still awake? Listening? So I'll make a couple statements here, and these are going to be on the tests. You ever had a teacher tell you that? This is going to be on the test. Write it down. So this is going to be on the test. Okay, pay attention, because I'm about to tell you. The Father, because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, yeah. The Father values you so highly that he sacrificed his son in order to make you his child. We're not there yet. I like your enthusiasm, though. I like his enthusiasm. Jesus values you so highly that he allowed himself to be sacrificed. Remember, he said, I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. The Holy Spirit values you so highly 
that he came to live in you when you accepted Christ. Jesus said he, he, he's among you now and he'll be in you. Comforter, stand by. He te- guides you into all truth, tells you things to come. That's how much he cares about you, how much he values you. You're the apple of God's eye, his precious child. If you accepted Christ, if you haven't accepted Christ, just take care of that right now. Just tell Jesus he's your Lord, believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, and, and now, now you're one of us. <laughs> so then, if we, can do, if we can hold on to that, we can dwell on that enough. If we can dwell on it enough to get it down into our heart, there will be no need to feel worthless. No, no need to measure up ourselves to other people. No need to earn worthiness because my value is now grounded in what God says it is. And I agree with him. It's a fixed value. It doesn't change. Amen? Okay, now. Right before Jesus told us this parable, he said, there is rejoicing among the angels when one sinner repents. So it's important that we tell people how much they mean to God because we don't want anyone to stay lost, amen? That celebration, join in. Make merry. Amen. Okay, that's all I have for today. So you guys ready? Answer some questions? I don't know. You don't look too enthusiastic about it. All right. They'll brighten up when they see. I got some stuff up here that's pretty good, actually. All right. Let's see, Bill's on top of it. He's already got the question up there. All right, number one. You ready? Now, you know the rules. Don't shout out answers. Raise your hand, and I'll get you one. And if you have answered a question, and we still have more, we may not. I mean, I got a lot of kids in here with me today. Now, nah, I probably will only have <laughs> enough for one question each. Okay. But if you already answered a question, don't try to answer another one. All right, you ready? What did God the Father, what did the Father do? We just said it. What did the Father do to show you how much you are worth to him? Asher? He sacrificed his son. That's right. Yeah, I'll accept that. That's good. Yep. He got it. Y'all with me? Number two, what did Jesus do? And Asher already kind of let the cat out of the bag here. What did Jesus do to show you how much you are worth to him? Aha. Yes, ma'am? She's got it. He sacrificed himself. Yep. Come on up. Come on down. All right. What did the Holy or does the Holy Spirit do? Because I'll accept a lot of answers on this one. What did the Holy Spirit do to show you how much you're worth to him? Yes, (laughs) ma'am? Well, technically, yes, because they're all one. I'll give it to you. He comes to live inside you. But I will give it to you because she did get that. Go ahead and come on up. Because, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. When Jesus said, I send another comforter, he was saying someone exactly like me because they are one. I'll let you cheat a little bit. It's okay. Number four. How many places does God want us to draw from to know how much we are worth to him? I think that was Samuel. He got it. He said one, him. And that's actually exactly what I have written down here. One, him. Yep. You didn't take a look at my laptop, did you? All right. Number five, true or false? True or false? If a person does not find out how much they are worth from God, they will make up places of their own to draw from. Is that true or false? I heard it, but I don't see a hand anywhere. 
You guys don't have to answer. I mean, Miss Briley. True, she got it. Smart as a whip, that one there. Shyness sometimes gets in the way, right? All right. Okay, I'm still on the same page. Okay, how many kids do I still have? Wow, God, I keep track today. The true or false? If the prodigal son had not gone back to his father, he would have stayed lost. Is that true or false? I see it. Bill, did you? Front row, Front row sir. True, you got it. Come on down. True or false? This is a kind of a long one, so pay attention here. 